welcome. Thank you for choosing to listen to this spirit-filled word by David Entry. When you catch a word, you have caught God. May you catch a word today that will cause God to change your story. Be blessed. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Two things. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us the privilege and opportunity to hear a word. We pray that reveal Christ to us. Let us see Christ, the Son of God, who gave himself freely for us, for our redemption. So we will also be brought into sonship to become the many brethren of him being the firstborn son. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, it's always exciting to um, get into the scripture and I pray that you'll be blessed. Now, what the, the text we read is very interesting. Two things that I want you to notice. Number one, he said that, but these are verse 31 again, but these are written that ye might believe. There are two things you're supposed to believe. That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Not a Christ. It's the, the particular one. The Christ, and not just that, the Son of God. Now, without these two things, there cannot be Christianity and nobody can be saved. And believing, what do you believe? That Jesus is the Son. Do you see that? So you, we have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And then number two, we believe that Jesus is the Christ. And number two, we also believe that he is the Son of God. So believing that Jesus is the Christ and believing that he is the Son of God is what makes man one get saved. Without that, you are on your way to hell. Without that, we cannot be saved. Now, that is the gospel. That is a Christian gospel. Christianity, the bedrock of Christianity is this, is belief. That's why we are called people of faith. That's why actually it's called the faith. Okay, now, some people have heard concerning the faith. Second Peter talks about my son, born the, the like precious faith. This faith is precious. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 talks about this faith, like precious faith. We have been born again. You are born again. You have been, begot, you have been begotten into the same, like precious. Peter, uh, verse 1, a, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained what? Oh, I like this. How like precious, like precious faith with us through the um, righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So we have obtained like precious faith. The faith is precious, right? Now, that's why we are called believers. And many were added to the believers. Believers. We are called believers. Why? What do we believe? What, that's important. You, you can't be a Christian outside of belief. Yeah. You cannot. There's no way you can practice Christianity outside of belief. You can be a nice person. You can be a good person. You can do a lot of good things, but that doesn't make you a Christian. You can be going to church. That doesn't make you a Christian. You can even study the Bible and attend theological seminaries and have PhD in New Testament theology and still not be a Christian. Because being a Christian is predicated on one fact and that only. What is the fact? That believing. No, so what do you believe? No, so people say, I, I, I believe in God. It doesn't make you a Christian. I believe, I believe in Jesus. In what way? Because other religions will also tell you that Jesus Christ is a prophet of God. So they believe Jesus Christ is a, once lived as a prophet. So you might believe that he lived. You might believe that he did amazing things. That doesn't make you of God. And that doesn't make you a Christian. Believe, I believe in Jesus. You have to tell us which Jesus you are talking about and what do you mean by you believe in Jesus. Now, it's very clear in the scripture that believing that he, Jesus, is the Christ. And not just the Christ, the Son of God. 
That is the only thing that makes you of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, it is, it is on this fact. I need you to understand. I'm preaching the gospel, brothers and sisters. Um, the basis of this fact is on the basis of this fact that people become Christians. Now, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say I am? Then he said, you, who do you say I am? So after what men are saying, you yourself, what are you saying? The pastor has said it, but what do you say? The books have said it, but what do you say? The preachers have said it, but what do you say? My mother is a Christian. My parents are Christians. We believe in Christianity. Oh yes, they told you and taught you about Christianity. But what do you say? Christianity, you can, God doesn't have grandchildren. God never has grandchildren. He only has direct children. We are creation of God. That's why we are called the sons of God. So what do you say? Your parents cannot born you as a Christian. You cannot be born as a Christian. To be a Christian, everyone must be born again. So if you haven't been born one more time, that's what it means to be born again. One more time. You have to be, you are alive, but you have to be born one more time. If you haven't been born one more time, you will die one more time. You have to be born one more time so you don't have to die one more time. Very, very important. So after Peter said to Jesus, you, then verse 16, Matthew 16, 16, Peter said, you are the Christ. Hey, the son of the living God. Did you see that? Those two, those two important descriptions are critical. In becoming a Christian, you are the Christ, not just the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son, the Christ, the son. He is the Christ and he's the son. He is the Christ and he's the son. And he said, this is what you have to believe. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon by Jordan, for flesh and blood has not revealed, but my father heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter upon this rock. That, that word rock means foundation. Upon this basis, it's a rock, it's a revelation of who Jesus is. That is what makes you part of the church. You can be part of a church. It doesn't necessarily mean you are part of the church. And when you are part of the church, you have to be part of a church. There are many people who have their names written in the register of Churches, so you are part of a church, but your names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because for your name to make it into the Lamb's Book of Life, you must acknowledge and believe that Jesus is the Christ and, uh, and for that, the Son of the Living God. What difference does that make then? What difference does believing that make? Does it change who he is? No, it doesn't change who he is, but it certainly changes who you are. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God, believing that Jesus is the Christ, certainly changes who you are. In what way does it change who you are? It changes your status. It moves you. Bible says that you have crossed from death to life. And that's not just it, because our original status are sinners. We are sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it said, for all, all means all. All means all, including everybody. For all, for all have sinned, hallelujah. For all have sinned. Everyone is a sinner. We have all sinned. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9, it talks about how we are sinners. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sins. No one. You can't, you, you, I mean, we are, we are sinners. All have sinned. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, all have sinned. Ecclesiastes 7, for there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. In 1 John chapter, chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 10, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Oh, come on, look at verse 10. Verse 10 talks about if we say that we have not sin, we make him a liar and the, and the word is not in us. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, it says about the Jews, so David was praying and he says, if they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not. So we are sinners. Because there is no man that sinneth not. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 36, the same thing. There is no man that sinneth not. 
there is no man. So that is what we are before God. We are sinners. And guess what? Not only sinners, it even gets worse. We were enemies. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. We were enemies. If you are not in Christ, you are an enemy of God. For if, when we were enemies, see where we were? We were enemies. So we were sinners and we were enemies. But now we have been made sons. How did we become sons? We sinners and we enemies have been made the sons of God. So Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says that, hallelujah. He says that we are the sons of God. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they are what? The sons of God. We are the sons of God. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 and chapter 4 verse 7. It all points to the fact that we are the children of God, sons of God. Verse 4, chapter 4 verse 7. It talks about we are the sons of God. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then you are heirs of God. Can, can, can you imagine? We are sons of God. We were children of God. We have become sons of God. So uh, children are just the beginning stage when you become born again. But as you receive the word, you are growing, you coming into responsibility and knowing your possessions, then you are sons of God. And as you mature, you are an heir of Christ. We are all that. We are children. We are sons. So let's take it. We are just the sons of God. Now, sinners have become the sons of God. How did that happen? Through the gospel. Through, that's why we cannot not preach the gospel. If we are silenced from preaching the gospel, we, we, we have gone past our cell by date. We have lost our relevance as churches. No church maintains relevance in the absence of the gospel. That's why Paul, as I said in the two, two services ago, Paul had to be strong and say that if anyone preach another Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, if anyone preach another Christ, another spirit, or another gospel, you have to watch that. Another Christ, another spirit, another gospel, another, it's a preach, another Jesus, another uh, preach, uh, uh, another spirit, wanting you to receive another spirit, or another gospel. He said we shouldn't accept it. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. It talks about if even we or angel preach any. So how come that you have been moved? Verse 6. How come that you have been moved away? So moved uh, from he that calls you unto the grace. Unto another gospel. So another gospel moves you away from what God has called you into. You may say that by just teaching. So those who trivialize teaching. Christ centered teaching. They are playing with fire. If you trivialize Christ-centered teaching, oh, all these things, just cheating, teaching, people are suffering. Let us receive the power of God. The power of God comes on the basis of the teachings. Bible says that they went preaching, God was confirming his word. You see, so God confirms his word with signs, wonders, Mark, Mark, Mark 16, 20, with signs, wonders, and miracles following. So if you marginalize, if you disdain, if you sidetrack sound teaching of the gospel, you have actually moved people away from grace. You have moved them away from the grace of God. You have moved them without knowing. Not, maybe not intentionally, but invariably, that is what you are doing, preacher. Preach the gospel. And the gospel, is, oh, 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 oh. let's look at the gospel. Let's look at the, what is the gospel? Bible talks about Romans chapter 1 verse 1. It calls it the gospel of God. It is not the gospel of a church. It's the gospel of God. It's not the gospel of a government. It's the gospel of God. It's not the gospel of a generation. It's the gospel of God. We can determine what the gospel should be because it doesn't belong to us. The gospel belongs, oh, God is the owner, is the originator, the pioneer, the author of the gospel. So to preach the gospel, we have to take it from him and just mimic it. We have to take it from him and proclaim it. He said, him we proclaim. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, talking about Christ in you, verse 27 talks, Christ in you, my previous teacher, if you remember, Christ in you. That is the mystery of the, of the gospel. Christ in you, the hope which is to, to, to God, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of, of this mystery amongst the Gentiles, 
which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Look at the next verse. Whom we preach. We preach Christ. In other translations, it says, whom we proclaim, whom we declare. We preach Christ. We proclaim Christ. We declare Christ. Whom we proclaim. We proclaim him. That is the, the true gospel. The true gospel proclaims Christ. Now watch this. But who's, who owns the gospel? It's God. God owns the copyright of the gospel. God owns the copyright of the gospel. It has been copyrighted. Don't change it. Don't amend it. Don't, uh, don't embellish it. Don't spray perfume on it. Leave it the way it is. Don't try to make it look better than it is. Leave it the way it is. Yes, to some people, it is foolishness. To others, it, it, it is an offense. But to those of us who are being saved, both Jews and Greeks, Colossians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, both Jews and Greeks, it is the power hallelujah <laughs> it is the power those of us who are God, what Jews and Greeks it doesn't matter Greeks thinks is foolishness. Jews is an offense. But within those, the category of those who think is a foolishness and those who think is a stumbling block or offense, within those categories, there are those who are being called. And if you are being called, whatever your same category of people are calling offense, you are seeing the power of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't spread perfume on the gospel. Yes. Live it the way it is. Because it's the gospel of God. Paul puts it this way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, it says that the gospel of God talks about Paul, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Which God, verse 2, oh, I feel like preaching. Which God has promised. I told you, God is the God of promise. He had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the prophets, don't forget this phrase, we, might, we will visit it again. The prophets have been saying some things in the Holy Scriptures, and all they are saying is this gospel. Is this gospel? And what is this gospel? What is the gospel about? Look at verse 3. Concerning. Ah! Oh! Ah! So the gospel is concerning. Ah! ah. Is the gospel of God concerning his son? If you take away his son, it's, it doesn't become a gospel, it becomes another gospel. If you replace his son, with any good thing, any nice thing, you have lost the core competence of the gospel. The core essence of the gospel. The centrality of the gospel. The meaning of the gospel. We have lost the active ingredients from the gospel. Christ is the center of it all. The gospel is concerning his son. My goodness, thank you, Jesus. Watch this, watch this. The gospel, verse 3 again, Romans chapter um, 1, verse 3. It says that concerning, 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 concerning. That's where my message comes in. What's about your preacher? No, no, I haven't actually. The main message is now coming. Con concerning his son. Ah, huh? God. Whose son? Give us the New King James. Let me show you something. Sometimes New King James. You see the his. It's talking about God. Son, capital S. It's also deity. So concerning God's son. So the his is God the father. The son is God the son. That's the gospel. The gospel of God is concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Ah, ah, that changes everything. He was born according to the flesh. Ah, God, you are trying to say, the son of God became flesh? Yes, that's the gospel. That is the gospel. That's the gospel. The son of God. So, okay, why is he a son of God? Why is he a son of God? Because when Peter was called, Jesus said, who do men say I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son. Uh-oh. So two descriptions, the Christ, the son. In John chapter 20, we read it earlier on, verse 31. This has been written that you believe that Jesus is 
the Christ, the Son. Did you see that again? Believe that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and then what? The Son. And then Romans 1 3 again talks about concerning his Son, who Jesus Christ. Did you see Christ there again? So Christ, Son, referring to one person. Christ, Son. So Son, concerning his Son. So, oh, 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 wait, wait. So Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what he's saying. Jesus Christ is not the Son, just the Son of Mary who is the seed of David. So, according to the flesh, there's no one in the flesh who doesn't have genealogy, who doesn't have parents. That's why he needed a family tree. And David was the chief personality. Abraham and David were the chief personalities in the family tree of David. Anything outside of David could not, the Christ could not come have descended outside of David's line. That Christ could not have descended outside of Abraham's line. Because God promised Abraham, the God of promise. He promised Abraham that in your seed, all the earth shall be saved. The families of the earth. So in your seed, that promise. So that means that Christ must be a seed of Abraham. But not just that. God also promised David that I will share a son with you. He shall be, when you die, I'll raise a son after you. And you shall sit on the throne. I'll give you an everlasting throne. And so the Christ needed to be the son of Abraham and the son of David. But the son of David first, then going back, son of Abraham. That's why Matthew starts, opens up by saying, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay. Before they started talking about his genealogy, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac because Jacob, Jacob because uh, uh, Judah and his brethren. And then verse 2. Isaac, because Jacob, Jacob began Judas and his brothers. Then he started genealogy. But really, the genealogy is not as, as crucial as the first one. The fact that he is the son of David, one, and he's the son of Abraham. Because David is the son of Abraham. So when you go to Romans chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus Christ, okay, Jesus Christ, the son of God, this is very important, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, how? So long as humanity is concerned, you must show us your father. Who is your father? That is why he said, my father is David. So David, he is the seed of David, and yet he is the root of Jesse. <laughs> Jesse is David's father, and David's father comes from him. Yet he is the fruit. He is the, he is the, one, the only one who is a fruit and a seed. According to Revelation chapter 22, he is the, is the offspring and the root of David. David comes from him and he comes from David. Revelation chapter 22 verse 16 and then verse 17 it talks about Jesus Christ. He, this is the record. This is the testimony. It says that it, I Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the church. I am the root and the offspring of David. Can you imagine? Is the root. How can you be the root and the fruit at the same time? Yeah, that makes him the Christ. <laughs> that, that's what makes him the Christ. Now, so let's go back quickly to the, where we started from in John chapter 20, verse 31, where the Bible says that you have to believe Christ in a certain way. Either than that, you are not a Christian, or either than that, you, uh, you cannot have life in his name. So how do you have to believe? You have to believe that he is the Christ. Now, please look, watch this. Two things I want you to notice. Watch me now. I want you to notice that in the scriptures, there were a few names that were used to describe Christ. So, for instance, Jesus is the name of the Jewish boy, Yeshua. Okay, the Jewish boy, Jews have, must have a name. And even the Yeshua means God our Savior, which is the same as Joshua. Yeshua and Joshua. Okay, so Yeshua is the same as Joshua. Joshua. So Jesus is our Joshua, and which means God our Savior, for he shall save his people from their sins, according to Matthew 1.21. But now no, watch this. So he will save his people from them. He's called Jesus and Christ. But the Christ is very important. Everybody accepted the fact that he's Jesus, according to how his parents named him, his earthly parents named him. But then not everybody accepted the fact that he was Christ, and not everybody accepted the fact that he was the Son of God. Now, the, Jesus was the Christ. Jesus is the son of God, and Jesus, watch this, watch this. But interestingly, this, his most favorite title for himself, which he used for himself, was the son of man. So now many have said, 
The Son of Man means that uh, uh, him in his humanity, and Son of God refers to him in his deity. Not necessarily so. In what way? Now, let me take my time to explain what it means by being the Son of Man. When we say Jesus is the Son of Man, when you read in the book of Ezekiel, throughout the book of Ezekiel, you, can, you hear a phrase like Son of Man. So Ezekiel 37, remember, Son of Man, can these bones live? Now, he was referring to that son of man was being referred, it was a reference being made to Ezekiel. So why son of man? In his humanity. So son of man in the scriptures in the Old Testament, watch this. Jesus used the term son of man, the phrase son of man to describe himself more than any other terms used to describe him in the New Testament. So then when he said the son of man goes and he will be crucified, he uh, goes into Jerusalem, he'll be crucified. After he said, you are the son of God, uh, um, Bible, in Matthew chapter 16, the Bible said from then he began to tell them how the son of man is going to Jerusalem. He'll be arrested and be crucified. So he used the term son of man. He kept using the son of man, the son of man, to many of his audience. Now, that must mean that the audience must have understood what he meant by son of man. Because then he wouldn't have been using it. Now, so that means a son, son of man was a phrase in their days that meant something which they understood. In those days, scholars have said, when, it's, when you say son of man, it was referring to Ezekiel as a human being, so son of man. But then when you look at the text very carefully, some of the text very carefully, yes, there were times when Jesus said son of man, he was referring to himself in his humanity. So uh, the, I think Matthew chapter 16 verse 21, somewhere there, it talks about how the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands or in the Luke account, how the Son of Man is going to Jerusalem and he must be delivered into the hands of the Jews and be killed and all that. So that's Luke 24, right? Saying the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men. Now, this, so Jesus left them, left his audience kind of in a quagmire Without being able, they couldn't. So that's why in the epistles, really the epistles, the apostles didn't use the term son of man when they were writing the epistles. Because it's, just, it's like, what did he actually mean? Did he mean just the humanity? Because there are times he said it, but you don't know whether he was referring to him as a human, the way Ezekiel was referred to as the son of man, or he was referring to that deity, that unique person in Daniel's vision, Daniel chapter 7, verse 11 to 13, but particularly 13, it talk, look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. It talks about how I saw the Son of Man, the ancient of this, I, I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the ancient of this and brought him near before him. So this what this son of man is talking about, a divine person who will come with judgment. A divine person. So Daniel, all those who knew the prophet Daniel, who have read, 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 uh, read about the prophet Daniel, knew that there is a son of man title that belongs to a deity. So when Jesus used the son of man, it wasn't only talking about his humanity. There were many of the times he was referring to the son of man in his divinity. A typical example is in um, Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. Jesus, look at what, what he says. I think let's go to chapter 16, verse 27, so we take it systematically. Matthew 16, 27, and then we'll go to 19, 28, and then we'll come to the... Uh, Matthew says, for the Son of Man will come in... Watch this. This is not talking about an ordinary human being. The Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Obviously, this Jesus talking. This, this scripture is not referring to him in, that, in an ordinary state of a human being. Because so he said he's coming in the glory of his father. He's coming with his angels. Chapter 19, verse 20. Look at chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus always was referring to the second coming. So Jesus said unto them, Surely I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, he has glory. 
He's going to sit on the throne of his God. This is referring to the son of man Daniel was talking about. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12. So he was, he was giving them an, an assurance that I'm coming back to reign. But you see, that son of man is really not referring to him just in his, in his, as a human being or in his humanity. Chapter 24, verse 30, the one I quoted earlier on, and then uh, we'll go to the last. It says that then the, then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. No, come on. This is not talking about all. So when he said Son of Man, he didn't only refer to his humanity, but much more, his, that first Son of Man pointed to his deity. Lastly, chapter 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, 31. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, come on, this, and, and all the angels with him. I mean, all the angels? Uh, none of us will, um, can have that. All the angels with him, they're talking about, he's, the, he's talking about deity. So anytime he used the word son of man, he didn't only refer to like the Ezekiel referred, by referring it more to like what Daniel said, the son of man, the divine person who appears on the earth, the son of man. So this is, that's why he kept using the phrase to himself, son of man, the son of man, the son of man, the son of man. Now, having said that, there is also, so Jesus is the son of man, but he's not only the son of man, he's the son of God. He is the son, and they said, we have to believe. He didn't say you have to believe that he's the son of man. He said you have to, <laughs> you have to believe that he's the son of God. Now, the word, the phrase son of God, as I've explained the phrase son of man, the son of man points to his divinity, even though in certain instances it will be pointing to his humanity. However, much of the time it points to his divinity. But the son of God is clearly concerning his divinity. So the son of man is embedded in the phrase the son of God. When we say he's the son of God, we actually mean he's the son of God in the way he has even, even described himself as the son of God who is in the human flesh. Or as the divine person who has appeared in humanity. So the gospel concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who was born after uh, in the, uh, uh, the seed of David according to the flesh. Now he, he was there already and he just appeared in the flesh. That's why he could choose his date of birth. Nobody could do that. He's the only one who could choose his date of birth and place of birth. Talking about Jesus. And so, Jesus Christ is the son. He said, we have to believe that he is the son of God. Until you believe that Jesus is the son of God, you are not saved. Until you believe that he is the son of God, you are not saved. So, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 54, the Bible talks about how the centurion, when he saw the way, the thunder and the things happening, He's saying, truly, this was the son of God. <laughs> In Mark chapter 50, verse 39, the centurion, when he saw the way Jesus cried on the cross, he cried out like this and breathed his love. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. Even the centurion admitted that this is a different person. This is a, someone who carries the date. Watch this. So when they say he's the son of God, we have to then, this is the, the, whole, the crux of the message. What does it actually mean when we say Jesus is the son of God? Because it has, it has given a lot of problems to many people. Many people, when you go out preaching, especially in England, where we are based and we've been preaching in England, there are these people with different religions that won't concentrate on their religion, but they always want to <laughs> refer to their Bible and try and say, and it, it bothers them when you say Jesus is the Son of God. It throws them into confusion. And that is where, that's, watch this, that is where I can categorically say, if you follow Jehovah's Witness, you are not a Christian. Why? Because Christians say Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, it's the scripture. He said, if you do not believe that he is the Christ, the son of God, you are on your way to hell or you are not saved. You don't have life through his name. That is it. And so it shouldn't surprise you that people make a big issue about Jesus' deity, that he's the son of God. So when we say he's the son of God, what do we mean? But before we do that, when he says that we should believe one, that Jesus is the Christ. So who is the Christ? The Christ is the prophesied one. 
they prophesied about him in the Old Testament. God prophesied about him in the Old Testament, in the books and through the prophets, that there is one coming. There is one coming. There is one coming. There is someone coming. There is someone. One day he's going to step. He carries divinity and he will appear in, the, in humanity and he will save, he will establish the kingdom of God, the rule of God on the earth. And so when you talk about the, the Christ, we are actually talking about, it is pointing to this one who the prophets kept speaking about. And what, guess what? If you read the Old Testament, you will keep coming across this divine person. All the Jews believe there is a Christ coming. You, then you are not a proper Jew. If you don't believe there is a Christ God has promised, you are not a true Jew. Because Abraham looked forward to the coming of the Christ. You are not a true Jew. All Jews, because the prophet spoke about it, Moses spoke about it, Moses in the law and the prophets, uh, the, the, uh, God in the law, uh, in, that's in Moses, and the prophets spoke about this Christ. So John, that's, that, that surprised you. John chapter 1, verse 41, when um, um, Andrew went to get his brother, and he said, we found Jesus Christ, of whom the prophet, we have found the Messiah. Do you see that? We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So, for your information, Christ means the Messiah, the same thing. Messiah, Jewish, uh, Jewish word. Christ, Greek word, okay? So Christ means the Messiah. Christos is the Greek, Christos. So, uh, and uh, the, the actual Hebrew is Messiah, okay? So Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah. So Messiah, Christ, uh, the, the Messiah, who is the Christ. So he said, we have found that means they were expecting the Christ. How about verse 45? Look at verse 45 of the same chapter. John chapter 1, verse 45. Verse 45 says that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he said, We found him. They were, Moses wrote about him. The prophet wrote. The Jews were already expecting it expecting a divine person. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25 and 26, talking about Simeon in the temple. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 and 26. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel that the Holy Spirit, um, and uh, Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Look at the next verse. He was waiting for what? And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the lost Christ, the lost Messiah. He wouldn't die before. So it is a common thing that you should expect the Messiah. That is why in Luke chapter 3, verse 15, they sent to go and ask John. The way he was doing miracles, they thought he was the Messiah. Because this is very strange. So they said, now the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he is the Christ or not. They, why would you be expecting if John was the Christ, if you are not expecting the Christ? And so the, uh, the Christ was the heavily anticipated one from the prophet, uh, spoken by the prophets and, and Moses. So they all anticipated, they looked forward to the arrival and to the coming of the Christ. Who is this Christ? The Christ is supposed to be the one who was coming to fulfill and accomplish the plans of God in, among humanity. He is the one who could fulfill the accomplishment of God in totality. Absolutely. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 to 7. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 to 7 tells us about the Christ. So when he said Jesus is the Christ, you are talking about he is the one God has always spoken about that somebody is coming. Somebody is coming. Therefore, when he came, that's okay. When Jesus came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. I, saw, I mentioned this, a body. He, his body was prepared from the room of Sarah. From the body of Abraham, all that God was preparing a special body. All right, a body has that prepared for me. Verse six, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Verse seven says that. Then said I, behold, I come. In the volume of the book is written of me to do your will, O God. So Jesus actually came to do the will because it has been written of him in the volume of the book. If you read the Old Testament and you don't find Jesus, you have not read it. He's inside there. That's why he told the Jews in the book of John chapter 5, verse 39. He said, you search through the scriptures daily. 
thinking that in them ye have eternal life. And it is this, these are referring to me. These are pointing to me. These are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me. What you are looking for is showing you clearly. You say you are going to Birmingham. There's this sign, sign posted, Birmingham, Birmingham, Birmingham. And you are going towards Reading. And then I mean, it's not Birmingham you are going. Because the signs are clear that if you're really looking for Birmingham, the sign is there, Birmingham, Birmingham. He said, if you are really looking for me and you read the Old Testament, looking for true God, if you are anyone who has been looking for God and has taken the Bible, finds Jesus. Yeah. You will find Jesus. You will find Jesus because it's all about him. Bible says that in the resurrection, how from Moses to the prophet, he expanded to them all that is written concerning him. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 24, 24 verse uh, somewhere 26 or so. But then let's move on. So he is the Christ, right? So now we have found, we have established the fact in what way is, is he the son of man? In what way is he the Christ? Now, in what way is he the son of God? That is it. Then I'll end on that. In what way is Jesus the Son of God? Because for your information, when the Bible uses the phrase the Son of God, it is not a new term that was not used before Jesus appeared. And so, for instance, in the book of Genesis chapter 6 verse 2, it talks about how the sons of God, oh, okay, so God has sons. God, now I explain when you say God has sons, so that people, this other religionists don't get very confused. They, it really troubles them. How can God have a son? When we talk about God having a son, it didn't mean God met with a wife or a woman to produce a son. Please, please, that's not what it means. Let's just get, let's get it cut to the chase. It doesn't mean God had, God didn't need a wife to produce a son. That's one. And God didn't need a female or a woman to have a relationship with or God didn't, let me put it the way they want to hear. God did not have sex to produce a son. God doesn't need sex to produce a son because we Christians are the sons of God. I told you, we have been moved from sinners to the sons of God according to, according to what the scripture we read, Romans chapter uh, 8, verse 14, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says we are the sons of God, okay? So how come God begat us? 1 John chapter 5, verse Verse 1, 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. It talks about God begat us. We are begotten of God. So if we are begotten, God gave birth to us. Did he have wife or for God doesn't need sex to give us give birth to human beings. All right, he doesn't need that to give birth. All right. So let's get that clear. Now, Genesis chapter 6, verse 20, 20, verse 2, it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Alright, so the sons of God was a phrase that was already being used. In, in Job chapter 1 verse 6, look at Job chapter 1 verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to, oh, oh, okay, the sons of God, they came to present themselves. Oh, okay, chapter 2 verse 1, you hear again, you see again, the sons of God. It says that again, there was a day when the sons of God, oh, okay, so this son of God thing is not anything new in scripture. Oh, that's an interesting thing. Before Jesus showed up, some people were being referred to as the sons of God. Really? And wow. Then what does it mean then? When they use the word the sons of God in the scripture, one of the meanings is that the ones, any creature that will have been created directly by God without the involvement of others. So the angels were not born. They were created. That's why they are called, the, in that sense, they are sons of God, directly produced by God. Di directly produced. That's why we Christians are called the sons of God. In what way? Directly produced by God. Bible said, created, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We are the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we have been created, directly produced by God. That's why I said God doesn't have grandchildren. Because the sons of God means that they, he has directly produced. So that in a Christ, with Christians, in one sense, we are the sons of God in that sense. And that is even a minimal sense. All right. So when the Bible uses the word, the sons of God, the sons of God, it's really referring to creatures that have been directly created by God. God produced them. God produced them. Not he gave birth to them in that sense, but he created them. He made them. He, that's why the angels were referred to as the sons of God. In the, in the book of Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire, the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar said, I saw, we cast four men, uh, three men, but I saw the fourth man like what? 
the Son of God. Now, King James and the New King James uses like the Son of God. But in original, it's really not talking about the, the Son of God in that sense. It was, look at NIV. NIV like the sons of, or the son of the gods. Right? Now, son of the gods, because Nebuchadnezzar didn't know about Jesus. He didn't know about any son of God. So he was referring actually to a supreme being or angelic personality, celestial being who had appeared in the terrain of, of the physical mortal being. So he was talking about a, an exceptional being, celestial. That's what he meant. So the, it was a common knowledge that celestial creatures were referred to as sons of God. That is why even in history, the Caesars, the Caesars were called the sons of God. In a certain sense, they were called the sons of God. Then they were God. So then when the, Jesus said, I'm the son of God, did he mean it in this way? No. He didn't mean it that when we said Jesus is the son of God, we didn't mean it. It is not meant in the sense that he is just a direct creature of God. No, he is not in that sense. So that is one sense in which the son of God was re reflected. And even Adam, was called the son of God. In, in Luke chapter 3, verse 38, it calls, when you're talking about genealogy, he said, and Adam, the son of God. Adam, the son of so, so the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Direct creation from God. Wow. Direct creation from God. So now, when the scriptures use the son of God in those sense, it, this is one of the senses it means. Number two, the son of God used in scripture also mean and that one doesn't refer to all these ones I mentioned apart from Adam. It means that the representative of a race, a, not a race, sorry, a, um, the, the human, entire human, humanity. It represents a, a human generations from, for, before God. So Adam was the son of God in the sense that he represented entire humanity before God. So when we talk about Jesus being the son of God, in a certain sense, he also represented humanity in the, in the side. What humanity? The new generation. The, the new creation. So remember I taught a message, Toledo, Toledo, the generations of Christ. We have the generations of Adam and the generations of Christ. So Adam, in, in that sense, was the son of God, the federal appointed representative for a generation, and Jesus was also federal or appointed representative for generation. So in that sense, Jesus could be the son of God, but not, when we say Jesus is the son of God, that is not the key one. That's not a key one. So in what way? Jesus, when we talk about Jesus being the son of God, he's uniquely the son. He's a unique son of God, unique from Adam's son of Godship, uh, from uh, all these other uh, sons of Godship you saw in the Old Testament. Jesus is unique. And even us, we being the direct creation of God in one sense, his, his son of Godship was even unique from all that. So when we talk about Jesus being the son of God, yes, in all those senses, it could mean true, but the reality is those are just minimal. The reality of the sonship of Christ is that Jesus is different. Watch this. For God so loved the world that he gave his, watch this, he gave his, John 3, 16, he gave his only begotten. He is the begotten son. He gave his only begotten son. He is the only begotten, not created. Begotten, not created. Begotten, not created. Begotten, not created. So Jesus Christ, when he said he is the only begotten son, in, in quickly, in two ways. In what way is he unique as the son of God? Number one, he is the one who reveals God. So in, in, in John chapter 1, verse 14, he said, the word, the word became what? Flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among, before the remember, it says the word was God. Okay. The word was God, verse, verse 1 and 2. The word was God. And then the word, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst them. Watch this. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace. So the, what he was demonstrating, exhibiting, was different, uniquely of God. It's like he reflected, that's why he could tell them that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Yeah. You see me, you have seen the Father. Why? Because he was a very unique 
son of God. He was unique. He is of the father. Now look at chapter 1 verse 18 again. John chapter 1 verse 18. He said, no one has, any, has seen God at any time. No one. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son. How about him? He is in the bosom of the father. Some translations say he's from the bosom. In bosom there means you know, it's like inside of the father. He's so much one with the father that when he stepped out, it's like God has taken part of himself and pulled it out. Wow. He, he, the only one who is, he has, he has declared him. The word declared him, he's revealed him. He has defined him. He has, he has explained God. So Jesus is walking on the earth was an explanation of how God is like in human terms. So when we said you have to believe that Jesus is the son of God, it's meaning that you have to believe that he is actually the manifestation of God. He is God in the flesh. That is what gets you saved, brother. Bro, that's what gets you saved. So if we preach a gospel without that content, it's not true gospel. We cannot change that gospel. It's the gospel of God. So Jesus is the son means that he is the one who came to reveal the father. We saw the glory of God in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. It, talk, it talks about he, he is the express. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. He is who being the brightness of his glory, God's glory, and the express image of God's person and, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself sat on the right hand. So he's the express image. He's the express image. He's the brightness of God. When you see him, you have actually seen. You have come into contact face to face with the glory of God as captured in humanity. Wow. Bible talks about he had to come in the flesh. God sending forth his son in the likeness of Romans chapter 8 verse 3. God sending forth his son in the likeness of of sinful flesh, in the likeness of the flesh. He came and condemned sin on the account of sin. He, the likeness of sinful flesh. The son came like a sinful flesh, but he didn't have sin. He came like the sinful flesh. So when you see him, when we saw him physically walking, he's, wow, this is God. He looked so much like man that they missed the fact that he was God. That's why they are finding difficult. They find it difficult that this is God. And that's what they mean when they say, you can't say Jesus is the son of God. They know. The devil knows. But when we, that when we say Jesus is the son of God, we don't mean he's the creature. We mean it's God himself who has stepped into time from eternity. God himself who has stepped into humanity in his divinity. So when he was alive, he was God and man at the same time. Two natures in one person. He had the nature of God fully, and he had the nature of man fully, living in one person. When you talk about his Christness, Christness refers to his assignment, his role, his job, his, his purpose. And, and sonship refers to his person. When we talk about he's the son of God, we are talking about he himself, his person. Christ, his assignment, his job, his accomplishment, what he came to do. You have to believe that he died for us. You have to believe that God himself came to die for us. That's why the Bible says that God was reconciling to himself inside Christ, the world to himself through in Christ, in Christ. Now watch this. So number one, when we say he's the unique son of God, we mean he's the only one who can show us the father. He, he defines God. He, he, he declares the father. Number two, in what way is he a unique son of God? When we say he's, a, he's the son of God, means that we are saying that he's God. He's equal to God. That's what it means. So if you say you believe Jesus is the son of God, that means you believe that Jesus is God. Yeah, that's what gets you saved, bro. That's what gets you saved. That's what gets you saved, boy. That's the only thing that gets us saved. Yeah. Believing that he's, he's God. So in John chapter 5, verse 18, he told them, when he, uh, in John chapter 5, uh, they had a problem because the Jews had a problem with him. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father. What does that mean? Making himself equal to God. When we say Jesus is the son of God, we mean he's equal to God. Not because he was born by uh, God, had a, 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 a relation and a, a, 
carnal relations with Mary, and Mary produced a human being. So now that human being is the son of God. No, before he was born, he was the son of God. He was the son with the father. Bible says that he did not count it robbery to grasp equality with God, something to hold on to. In Philippians chapter 2 from verse 5 down. So he relinquished it and took on the, the, the nature of a servant. Humanity. And even came as low as being humbled himself even to death and death on the cross. He just came so low. How can God do this? Yeah, that is the Messiah's job. But the Messiah must be God. That's why when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, that is a defining moment in Christian history and the church life. And he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. So when we say Jesus is the son of God, we mean he's the one who declares God and defines God and is the only one who is God in the physical. And when we say Jesus is the Christ, we mean he is the one who came to fulfill what God has promised will be done for human beings to be saved. And he will come back to judge. And when we say he is the son of man, Jesus said in Mark chapter 2 verse 10. In fact, verse 7, Mark chapter 2, they were complaining that, who is this guy? Verse 5. But who is this guy who can forgive sins? Well, why does this man speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? God, only God can forgive sins. Look at verse 10. Only God can forgive sins. So the way if he's saying your sins be forgiven, he's trying to say I'm God. But, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. See, that, that son of man is not talking about no human being. He said, yeah. so look at verse 28. It, it, it talks about how the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Ha! That's godness. That's, that's deity. So when we say he's the son of God, it also means that it includes, see, when we say he's the son of man, we are pointing to the fact that, we are pointing to the fact that he's the son of God. The son of God encapsulates all his divine attributes. Him, God, on the earth. Now watch this. You cannot be saved without believing that Jesus is God, whom we have offended, who we have be, whose enemies we have become, whom we have offended by becoming sinners. You are saying that he, that God, came in the, appeared on earth and to die for our sins. His work was the, the work of the Messiah. To die to bring us back to himself. He was on the flesh, in his flesh, he was, he, he was reconciling, Colossians chapter 1 verse 22, talks about in his flesh, in the cross, in his flesh, he was reconciling us. He reconciled us to God in his flesh. Colossians 1 in his flesh, in the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and blameless and Above reproach in his sight. He, he, he needed the flesh to do that on the cross. That's the word the Messiah can do. But the Messiah is the son of God who can only, the only one who can forgive sins. <laughs> God is the only one who can who could forgive sins. God is the only one. So as he was walking on the earth, he was doing a function as a Messiah, but he was God. So God on the earth is the Messiah. God walking on the earth to bring man back to God, to reconcile. So why do you, all Christians, say that you, uh, if you don't believe in Christ? Because the God everybody is trying to get to, he has appeared. And we are now, he has appeared to show us how we can get to him. He has appeared. That's the God. That's, that's why you, for, for you to disdain Christianity, you have to attack the core of the message, the core competence, the essence of the message, the active ingredient of the Christian message is that Christ is the son of the living God and is the Messiah. If you can attack that, you have attacked the, the message of Christianity. And so, Christians, let's uphold the message. That's what gets us saved. And that's the only means through which the world can be saved. By declaring and proclaiming Christ to be the son of God, the Messiah, through whom our sins can be forgiven. And I said, do you believe this? If you believe this, then that's all it takes for you to be saved. It's as simple as that. But someone needs to tell you that Jesus is the Messiah who died for our sins, who came to save us and reconcile us to God, and he's the Son of God. So in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says that these were written that you, ho, ho, but these are, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Can I ask you a question? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? I believe. Now, second question. 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Then that's what makes, gets you saved. That's, it's not the good works you are doing, not how nice you are. That's where it starts from. That comes later. It goes, it's, a, it's, a, it's a testimony. It's the fruits of salvation. If you are really saved, it will show. The Bible says if you are repented, you, have, you bring forth works worthy of repentance. According to Acts chapter 26, works worthy of repentance. Bring, uh, bring forth works. 19 and 20, somewhere there. Bring forth works that the, the gentile, that they should repent and turn to God and do works befitting repentance. So when you are saved, the works will show. Okay? But how do you get saved? By believing. That's all. That's why we are believers. That's why we are in the faith. We believe in Jesus as the Christ and the Son of the living God. Thank you so much for listening. I pray that this has been a blessing and somebody has learned something. The core of the gospel. Jesus, the Son of God, is the Christ and the Son of God. The core of the gospel. Thank you for listening to this message by David Entry. When God speaks, works show. And the works will surely show in your life. To hear more from David Entry, follow him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe to Caris Church on YouTube. Don't forget to share and subscribe to our podcast so you're always up to date. Be blessed.